Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Travis Dickinson, on how our faith is strengthened in the midst of doubts and big questions. And the great irony with all this is that there's so much evidence. Mm-hmm. There's so, I mean, P- Christians have been working on this from the beginning of Christianity. We've had apologists in the life of the church who've done this important work. And I would argue that the Apostle Paul and uh, the rest of the apostles and Jesus himself was offering evidence to people in order to address the questions and the doubts that they had. Travis Dickinson, next. Dr. Travis Dickinson says many Christians assume that doubt is faith's opposite and that wandering among the hard questions of faith will lead us further and further away from God. He disagrees, though, believing our doubts and hard questions about the faith are actually an important way we can express our commitment and love to God. He says it's possible to wander toward God as we ask our questions honestly in faith and trust. Hence, the title of his new book, Wandering Toward God. Dr. Travis Dickinson is a professor of philosophy at Dallas Baptist University. Dr. Dickinson, tell us what prompted you to write a book about this subject. A lot of different things uh, as, it, as it goes, but, yeah. uh, books like this. But uh, I think one stream uh, that flow, that sort of flowed into it was that my own questions and doubts and mm-hmm. how that was an instrumental part of my own journey. And so I, I had a um, pretty serious episode of doubt in, in seminary, which is, you know, some people think is a funny place to doubt your faith, but it's actually more common than you, you would mm. think. And so what I did is I leaned into those doubts and I found lots of answers and lots of truth and my faith grew. Um, and so I think the other sort of, uh, concern I had was how many, uh, kids are walking away from the faith these days so that we have a a problem we call uh the youth exodus and it puts statistics put it in different places but uh around 60 to uh even up upwards to 80 percent of students are walking away from the church at least in in their college years Mm -hmm. and a major barna did a big study on this and a major um reason why they are walking away is one of is uh doubts um and having doubts and i think that sometimes we just let doubts have their way with us and and it causes us to walk away when my experience was exactly opposite and so i i wanted to write a book that would give people sort of a um a guide to to doubting their faith well and, and finding truth and knowledge and ultimately a greater place of faith as a result. The book is titled Wandering Toward God, and you talk about it in the book. Uh, what do you mean, why wandering? Well, I think because that's how it feels. Mm. Uh, I think when we're in that place of, um, you know, questioning and and sort of not sure what to do with those questions, not sure what to do with the tension that we're feeling, mm-hmm in our faith with some objections. And I, that's all I think doubt really is, is when we feel the, that tension, um, it feels like we're wandering. But I, I think what I wanted to do is, too is put a spin on it so that it's it's not wandering aimlessly. It's not sort of, sort of lost and not sure which way to turn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's maybe a little bit of that feeling of it, but it's it's got a direction that we can, we can sort of head in. And I love the outdoors. I've done a lot of backpacking and things like that. And there's definitely times you're just sort of wandering, 
uh, but yeah. you're wandering in a particular direction. And I think that's that for me really captured what my experience was like. I, I wasn't, I, I, it was for the first time I was open to the idea that Christianity might be false. Uh, it, it was a very honest, it was very difficult. It was a, it was quite the struggle, but I still had a direction. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to walk away. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like I said, I found, found answers. And, and so you, you sort of mentioned it a moment ago, but how do you define doubt? Now, I always, I always like to say that there, there's many ways that doubt manifests. So it, it sort of plays out in different ways for different people. But what I try to do in the book is is boil it down to what's the sort of core state that we're in when we are in a place of doubt. And I think it really starts with this intellectual tension um, where there's some objection or a difficult question, and we're just unsure. Again, that's the kind of wandering part. We're just unsure. We're, we don't know how to answer the question. We don't know how to address the objection. So I, I, I like the illustration of the, um, you know, the old sci-fi movies where every ship came equipped with a tractor beam. Yep. Right. And, the, oh, and they oh, sure. can sort of suck in the other, uh -huh. other ships. You, when you're in a place of doubt, you're kind of in the tractor beam of an, an, of an objection and you're kind of being sucked into it a little bit. You feel the tension mm -hmm. um, and that's all it is to doubt. Right. And then that can manifest in moral behavior, and that's where I think a lot of the the Bible, when it when it brings up doubt, it's talking about moral behavior. It's not necessarily addressing that core place of tension because people are in that place of tension all throughout Scripture. From you know uh, the Book of Job is a great example. Uh, lots and lots of tension in the Book of Job, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the Psalms. Psalms. David is often like asking God, "Where are you?" Right? Yeah. We are dying here. Where are you? And mm -hmm. so, um, and then of course the disciples are in this place of tension pretty regularly. And I think that I just call that a place of just doubt, but it can manifest in a way where Peter looks around as he's walking on the water and sinks because he's not just having tension at that point. <laughs> he he was he was doubting the trustworthiness of Jesus. And I think that's that's how that manifested. Well, it sounds like in all of this, if if doubts emerge in the life of a Christian, you're saying it's not something to be alarmed about. No, in fact, that's that's what I um, right because I it's a it's a lonely place to be, and it can be really difficult. And I think we've done a disservice to our kids to say, "Hey, you should never doubt. You should never really have this place where you 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 have to have a hundred percent certainty." Because all right, I have a whole chapter devoted to this, and say that's that's a kind of house of cards. Because all it takes is one question that comes along, and that whole thing comes crashing down. If yeah. it if it has to be all or nothing, and so I think it's actually a good thing to feel some of that tension. I and I have, we've got four kids, uh, teenagers and preteens. Uh, so pray for us. No, uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we right. I want my kids to feel a little tension when they're in my home and in my care where I can then walk with them through the tension and not say that we're going to get it all figured out, but I certainly don't want them to be in that place when they hit the college campus and I'm not around or they might not have the support that they do right now in our, our you know church and youth group and things. And I just think that's one reason why, again, we have such a youth exodus in the college years is because kids walk into those years 
with uh, probably an inflated sense of confidence mm. in their own sort of knowledge of Christianity and 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 its ability to answer questions, and then they get asked hard questions, and all of a sudden that's shaken, mm-hmm. and rather than leaning in, they walk away. So just to kind of uh, recap a little bit, you're saying doubt is a normal part of the Christian journey. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I always quick to say, because people say, you know, because I think some people overvalue doubt too. There's definitely the sort of big uh, movement of deconstruction mm-hmm. these days, and yeah. and almost a celebration of doubt. And I'm I'm saying it's a tough place to be. I don't want to be there. I mean, I want my kids to feel some some tension, but I don't want them to stay there. Um, and I, I'll, you know, my sort of uh, you know bit of a cliche line is to say, right, doubt is not the destination. But it is an important stop off along the way for many of us as we work out our questions and our thoughts and those tensions and find truth and answers. Well, the book is Wandering Toward God, Finding Faith Amid Doubts and Big Questions. My guest is the author, Dr. Travis Dickinson. He teaches at Dallas Baptist University. I wanted to come back to something you said right at the beginning, uh, Dr. Dickinson, and that is that uh, the book grew out of, uh, as you said, several different streams, but one was your own experience with doubt in seminary. And And you even said something interesting that's not as uncommon as people might think, but can you tell us a little bit about that uh, that yeah. experience with doubt and and what you did about it in seminary? Absolutely, yeah. So I I grew up in about a as Christian a setting as a person could grow up in. So my parents were in the ministry. Um, you know, we're of course at church. Uh, anytime the door the doors were open, uh, I was in Christian school went to Sunday school camps, retreats, mm. uh, mission trips, uh, <laughs> as you, as you refer to it. And, yeah. and I got through all of that without really ever asking why I think this thing we call Christianity is true. Now I probably asked questions, but I think I really just assumed it's truth. Um, and then just worked on trying to have confidence in that truth. I couldn't have answered the really big questions of like, but why think it's true? And so I was sitting in a seminary classroom and the the class was on world religions. And we were, you know, as as we tend to do, giving giving uh the other religious views quite the hard time and being very, very, very critical of them and asking kind of the hard questions of them. And it just felt like we were giving Christianity a pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe we were, but I think what I realized is that really it was me. It was me that was giving Christianity pass, and I had done it my whole life. And it really just threw me into this time of like, well, how do if I'd been born into a Muslim context, I'd probably be a Muslim mm-hmm. with you know confidence in 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 uh, the truth of Islam, um, or if I'd been born into some other uh, alternative faith. And so, but the difference too for me was I had to find the truth because. I didn't know it was false either, right? Mm. And so I had to I had to figure out and 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 for the very first time I think in my whole life, asked that very painful, uh, you know, or at least potentially painful question of, is this really true? With the possibility that it's not, with the very real possibility that I walk away, and it was that really threw me again, especially because of my background. Um, to, to ask for the first time, like, is this thing that I've really sort of got my whole life wrapped around true? And, and that was, it was difficult. Well, you say uh, in your book uh, to lean into our doubts. How, how yeah. did you do that in, in this case? Yeah. 
So I I have a couple um, sorts of uh, suggestions. It's mm -hmm. not quite a, a how to, but yeah. it's I, I hope for these to be helpful. So the first thing I I say to do is to hang on, <laughs> which mm. might be a little counterintuitive <laughs> with, with with the leaning in part, but <laughs> but I think that sometimes again people just allow doubts to have their way with them and they walk away simply because they're doubting not because there's any good reason behind the doubts it's just because they're doubting and so just like we can place our faith i i have a running example of getting on an airplane and i because i think that's one of the craziest things we do as human beings is we get on a craft made of metal weighing in at about a million pounds and we strap in and put our little belts on, you know, seat belts on as if they'll do anything. And then we take off into the atmosphere and fly. And it's crazy. And most of us don't really know how that works. Uh, but jumping out of faith just because you have some doubts would be like as crazy as jumping off the airplane just because you don't understand how that all works. We can place our faith in things even if we don't have it all figured out. And that is such good news, honestly. And I and I hope, again, like my my goal with the book in part is just to help someone who's in the grips of doubt to just let them know, hey, you're you're normal. It's okay. This is an important part. Don't worry about it. Hang on, because you can you can maintain faith even though you have doubts. I love um there's a quote by um Oz Guinness. Mm -hmm. who says that um, doubt is not the opposite of faith, unbelief is. And so I kind of take that one step further to say, I think faith and doubt are perfectly compatible. You don't want to stay in the place of doubt. You can maintain faith even though you have some doubts 100%. So uh, hang. first of all, hang on. But then what you really have to do, I think, is lean in and investigate this is where just looking at the evidence is so very important. And the great irony with all this is that there's so much evidence. Mm -hmm. There's so, I mean, P Christians have been working on this from the beginning of Christianity. We've had apologists in the life of the church who've done this important work. And I would argue that the Apostle Paul and uh, the rest of the apostles and Jesus himself was offering evidence to people in order to address the questions and the doubts that they had. And so that's a big task and it can be difficult and it can be, you know, you can get into some, into the weeds as it were and and sort of uh, get too technical too quick or whatever. But there's also just some, uh, so much material that's very accessible and written at all different kinds of levels, um, you know, that somebody can lean in and find the answers they're looking for. Well, I'm wondering to put some specificity to it, Dr. Dickinson, can you yeah. cite a, perhaps a, a doubt, a big question or two, and and how somebody might lean into that and yeah. and do what you just suggested? suggested? Absolutely. So uh, one claim that you'll hear along the way is that there are hundreds and hundreds or thousands of contradictions in Scripture. And, and people will be reading along and they will maybe be reading in Matthew, let's say, and then they'll read Mark and then they'll read Luke. And then they'll realize that the different gospels sometimes offer different details about the very same event. And I think that can throw people because they realize, oh boy, there's uh, <laughs> these are different. These are different. Mm -hmm. uh, and so maybe there is something to this contradiction claim and maybe we shouldn't 
trust scripture. And you can just imagine somebody sort of struggling with that, having tension about that. Mm -hmm. Well, when we lean into it, um, what we find is we do in fact find differences of detail. So stories, especially around the, the empty tomb accounts, you have a variety of different details that are emphasized across the different gospels. Uh, so one, for example, is how many and who uh, were the women that were there at the empty tomb. Uh, all four gospels literally have four different accounts. So you don't have any of the four gospels agreeing. But when you really look at it and sort of lean, as I'm saying, lean in, don't mm -hmm. just don't just sort of be worried about, oh, there's a contradiction here. Lean in and say, is there really a contradiction? Uh, what we find is is nothing contradictory because it's not contradictory to say in one account that Mary was there uh, and then another account say uh, Mary Magdalene and then another account say Mary Magdalene and mention a couple other women and then another account say uh, a few more women as long as those are consistent. Now, if one of the gospels said Mary Magdalene went to the tomb by herself with no other women or something like that, that would be a problem, but it doesn't say that. Mm -hmm. um, and this is just how we talk about it. So I always give the example that, you know, if some famous person came to my office with their entourage, because famous people typically have their entourage. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and, you know, they have, you know, maybe this famous person has some philosophical questions asked, we have a nice chat and they leave. If I walk out of the, my office, the first thing I'm going to say is you would never believe this famous person just came to my office and I would neglect the entourage. Right. But if, if somebody else later said, okay, tell me all the details I might list out. And so I might have a different list every time I tell someone mm -hmm. about the very same event that's perfectly consistent. And I think that's what we see in the gospel, especially related to the, the number of women. You see Mary Magdalene as the, the common person in each of the accounts and then just differences depending presumably de depending on um you know who the the gospels addressed to. and then one last point about this which is really extraordinary a uh, friend of mine jay warner wallace uh will, draws this out in his book and i've heard him talk about many times it's terrific he says that the differences of detail is actually good because you it, it suggests these are independent accounts if we had the exact same details four times over, that would mean we really don't have four accounts of that event. We only have one. And so the fact that we do have these consistent, coherent differences of details actually is a good thing because you have four different people saying, you know, sort of cooperating these, these things that are perfectly consistent, which suggests four accounts, not just one. And and this, of course, volumes have been written on this yes. throughout yes. the ages. I have to yes. ask, you've got it in your book, though, the whole issue of the problem of evil or of human yes. suffering and how, you know, how could God allow this to happen, that kind yep. of thing. How do you lean into those kind of questions, which uh, seem, seem to be so so common with uh, yeah. doubting or with deconstruction stories, that kind of thing? Right. And that's, again, the thing, as you rightly point out, is so, there's so much written on this. And, and I... Again, I think my biggest message for people is to don't do this alone in a lonely apartment or mm -hmm. a do dorm room or something, but really, truly like investigate and look at because there's things on both sides and, and consider the case from both sides. Okay. What I would say just briefly is there's a number of things that can help us understand why God would allow um, pain and suffering and the evil that we see in the world. And, and one of those big reasons is that 
he created us free. And if he created us free, genuinely free, then we have the freedom to do good or do evil. And so we have done lots of evil. And I think there's a, you know, the, you know, with, with the Christian story, like it's, it's not glossed over. Uh, there's, there's a, you know, we sort of start as it were the, the book with an account of creation. And then on, on the heels of that is in Genesis three is the account of the fall of humanity. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of right away understand that, yeah, there's something amiss with us. Uh, on, and notice on the basis of a choice made by Adam and Eve, um, that this sort of free and sort of uh, fallenness uh, is is inherited by the rest of us. And so um, that does explain, like if God wanted us free, then that does in a way explain why there's there's is evil in the world. Now, that doesn't explain everything. And I, you know, some people say, well, why did he create us free? Why didn't he just create us to do good or whatever? And my response is to say, well, if he created us, then there were then we're robots, uh, and there's not there's not the genuine possibility of love of a loving relationship. Then, um, so when I talk to uh, student groups, I always give this example because they always giggle. Uh, is that I ask them to imagine that they're dating someone, and it's and it's going really well. They're having you know it's a great relationship, you know. And all of a sudden, they they get information that their parents are paying that person to uh -huh. date them, mm -hmm. right? And that's the, that's where the you know giggles come. Uh, or we can even make it even worse that their parents are like blackmailing this person to date them. And what you realize is that whatever that is, it's not love, right? If it's forced, and and that's the point is that forced love is not love actually. Forced worship is not worship. And so God creates us free with the genuine possibility of loving him, but that creates the genuine possibility of doing evil and going the other way. And, and, and that does help in a lot of ways. And I'm wondering too, in the Genesis 3 account that you just gave in the garden, of course, you have the serpent, you have Satan, who yeah. actually introduced doubt into yeah. the mind of, That's right. did God actually say that? I, right. I, I mean, you have that that paradigm of of the world, the flesh, the sin, and the devil. You've got all of these sort of conspiring together to yeah. cause us to doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's and doubts can lead us astray. I mean, they they absolutely can. That's why I say I'm I'm trying to strike a balance between seeing the value of going through that experience and, and what its potential is without overvaluing it. Because doubts can definitely lead us astray and they can definitely lead us into these bad places. It's never worked for me to just say, don't doubt. <laughs> yeah, that you know, that I, I found that when I try to not doubt or think about these problems that it might might be in the forefront of my mind, uh, they may go away for a little while, but they typically come back and they come back with friends, <laughs> or they come back in a stronger degree. And so I think it's, and I say this in the book, I say there is a genuine risk of doubting and leaning into doubts and so on. I, I've got to be honest about that. Mm -hmm. But I think the risk, especially for our, you know, younger generations, is it's riskier to just tell them to not doubt. Um, because they're going to doubt and they're going to have these questions. And to be told, hey, knock it off, is just with this generation, especially, and which is something I love about 
Gen Z is that they are asking questions and they're not accepting pat answers. Well, the book is Wandering Toward God, Finding Faith Amid Doubts and Big Questions. My guest is the author, Dr. Travis Dickinson. He's a professor of philosophy at Dallas Baptist University. And, and really so much encouragement here is that you write that struggling with serious doubts, whatever they might be, you touch on a, you've touched on a number of them today, you touch on more in the book, struggling with them tends to strengthen faith, it tends to make us more grounded Christians. When we lean in, I think, when we lean in, because here's a hopefully not a spoiler alert, but Christianity turns out to be true. And Christianity turns out to be, have lots of reasons to believe it's true. Um, and it's really our fault that we've neglected that, uh, many of us, right? There, there are, there's so, like I said, there are so many resources out there. And I think the reason why it can be a very good thing overall is because there's so many good answers out there and we just need to lean in and find those answers. And I think if we if we don't let it manifest in these other ways and sort of hit it when it's just a matter of intellectual sort of uh, tension, then we can be led to truth, like I said, truth, knowledge, and a greater faith. I'm wondering, is there something else that you might want to add, Dr. Dickinson, about what Scripture says about doubt? I, I, again, th there are some passages that um, have some pretty, you know, strong sort of uh, warnings about doubt, and, you know, James chapter 1 uh, says to ask without doubt, you know, for wisdom and things like that. And um, because the doubter is like a, being tossed by the sea and those sorts of, and, and I'm not, you know, I've, of course agree, you know, uh, affirm all of that. Yeah. I just think in, in, in the, um, commentaries, uh, I, I cite a few commentaries in the book, uh, agree that what scripture is often addressing again is not that sort of just having a question and sort of not knowing which way to go, having some, having some tension, in those passages, it's it's letting that manifest in ways um, that a mature believer, right? As as mature believers, we shouldn't be there. But the big question is, how do you become a mature believer? And in some ways, I think leaning into the doubts and questions we have is a way to get to that place where we're not tossed by the sea, if that makes sense, and, and wavering in our faith and so on. Um, and I love, uh, I, I want it's the it's one of the last. Uh, uh, verses in the in the small book of Jude, have mercy on those who doubt. You see a distinction. You see the distinction between troublemakers that we just need to stay away from, avoid, cast them out of our congregations, and so on. If 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 it gets to that level, but those that are in our congregations in our churches who have some questions and doubts, have mercy on those folks because we need to we need to work with them and 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 help them to come to a place of knowledge and uh right church should be the first place we go when we have doubts and and again i think that's my my concern with our our sort of younger generations who are walking away because of doubts i just don't think they're finding a warm reception mm. when they're asking hard questions in a lot of our churches and it should be the exact opposite last words of encouragement yeah i think it's i think Again, just to know that there are answers, there is truth. Um, we have the resources today that make make those things very accessible. And I want to say, don't ever stop. Uh, don't ever like this is really a kind of uh, 
lifelong journey. Mm -hmm. And I would say I'm very much on that journey of still asking questions. I still have things I don't have completely figured out. Um, and it really boils down to, as I say in the book, uh, loving God with all of who we are, including loving God with our minds. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Travis Dickinson, author of Wandering Toward God, Finding Faith Amid Doubts and Big Questions. He teaches at Dallas Baptist University. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Alesha Kaufman on what she believes are some major turning points in American church history. A standard way that God works in the world, is this an expectation that part of its salvation would be a dramatic experience? A turning point in, in each individual life is, is one way to think about it. Mm -hmm. is, is that sort of the paradigm for Christianity? And that gets associated with the tradition known as evangelicalism. And many historians look back to the early 1700s and the, the, what they have designated the First Great Awakening as the beginning of that tradition, which was and remains particularly strong in the United States. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Mm -hmm.